It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Saturday night, Las Vegas. Welcome on in. It's Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 989 FM, 1340 AM. It's Tim Unglesby and Damon Cotton with you from wonderful Las Vegas, Nevada, as we begin our Saturday night show, a two-hour edition up until the midnight hour. And we're going to talk sports, of course, playoff action everywhere. The main focus tonight, let me bring on my Co-host, as always, TomBartonSports.com, hashtag SGN Sports Garden Network. Tom Barton, Tommy, we're back on a Saturday night. we got two hours to talk about the world of uh, playoff basketball and hockey. Yeah, playoffs are here, right? I mean, it feels like a, a little bit later than it normally should be, but the playoffs are here, and you know, we're down to the nitty-gritty. I mean, you could start to see uh, what teams actually you know, have championship value, what teams are sitting back and just completely over shooting what they should be, um, what teams are kind of settling into their roles. I mean, you know, you say with four teams left, you go, everyone's got a shot. Yeah, sometimes in hockey. But I'll tell you what, the sports books don't think that. And in basketball, it's kind of the same thing. You're starting to see elevated stats, elevated lines, elevated numbers. We'll get into all that. Yeah, so – Usually you're you're looking at a lot of six seven game series, but so far we haven't seen too many of that. And I guess we'll just start with what we saw last time, which was tonight, Game Three in LA, the Clippers and the Jazz. And uh, the Clippers look right, Tommy. They they held they held home home court in Game Three. They they get a big win tonight, big fourth quarter, and Leonard played like he should, I guess you could say. And it's two games to one. Utah leads with Game Four coming up in LA on Monday. Yeah, look, this was a game that. You know, I, I think we saw this coming, didn't we? I, I mean, didn't we see the Clippers just kind of making things right? Look, Utah is a, a, a fantastic team, and I do think that they're going to advance, and I think they can win this all. But it's in L.A. The Clippers still do have Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Mitchell went out. I, I know, look, they were down by 10 when he went out, but Mitchell went out, and he wasn't uh, 100% in that game. And that's really what this Jazz team is, isn't there? Or, I mean, if you see Donovan Mitchell 100%, Rudy Gobert 100%, and this team 100%, they're almost unstoppable. But when any little hiccup comes, the Jazz just really can't get past that. I, I'm not calling this a, a serious hiccup, but look, they were in L.A. Okay, that's a hiccup against them. Kawhi and uh, George had fantastic games. They scored 65 points to combine, or 64 points combined. Okay, these are things that the Jazz just aren't going to get past. They have to play Jazz basketball. Jazz basketball is very simply, look, we still have control of the series. Um, we dropped a game, no problem, let's bounce back. I, I expected this game to go the way that it did tonight. Maybe not the blowout that it was, but when Mitchell left, it was a 10-point game. L.A. winning by 10 at home against Utah is not exactly strange, is it? I mean, I still think Utah's in control of the series. I still think Utah's the better team. But this is one game. Yeah, it's it's set up that way for a reason. I mean, you think you look at 
Um, am I correct in saying this, right, Tom? Clippers haven't won a game on the road in the playoffs this year, right? They've lost every road game. Well, the Clippers, you know, what what gets me about the Clippers is this, is oftentimes in the NBA, when I am uh, evaluating NBA, when I'm handicapping the NBA, best player wins more than any other sport. It may be football with a quarterback, but generally speaking, more than any other sport, the best player on the court wins. And while Donovan Mitchell has been fantastic, Kawhi Leonard is the best player when he wants to be. And I say what he wants to be because he's a very unusual superstar, Tim, right? He's not consistently great. He's not consistently that guy. But when he does and when he elevates his game, you can argue he's the best player in the game. You could argue he's legitimately the best player in basketball. Well, when he has those games, they're far and few between. But when he does have them, it's almost unstoppable. And when you have George running the way that he did, I, I know everyone's kind of down on Utah tonight. I think this is an up-on-L.A. kind of situation. They needed this game at home. They had to win this game at home. They looked to their two big stars. Both of their stars had huge games. Kawhi looked fantastic out there. This is the L.A. team that can win a championship. The problem is what we've watched throughout Kawhi's entire career. Forget about it in L.A., but specifically in L.A., he's just not consistent. Right, he can't consistently put these type of games together, and that's where LA's in trouble. And Utah's not Dallas, right, Tom? It's not a series where you're down three one, three two, a situation where you have home for home court on your home floor in Game Seven. You know they lose on Monday. This series is effectively over. Going back to Utah, uh, did they? I think they lost five games at home all year. Five games, Utah, right? Which means, L.A., you got to go out there and win at least one in Utah and also defend your home court. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I, look, game three, I was willing to say, sure, no problem. Now, if Mitchell was 100% healthy, I would be loading up on Utah the next game because I, I really do think that they're going to come out and they're going to kind of correct a lot of things. And it, I don't want to call the Clippers win a fluke, okay? I don't want to say it's a fluke. But it's a fluky type of game. It's a fluky type of game that the Utah Jazz are going to let up 130 points. It's a fluky type of game that with 10 minutes left, Donovan Mitchell won't be on the floor. It's a fluky type of game that, uh, you know, their big two are going to both click at the same time because it just doesn't hasn't happened. In the last two years, it's rare that the Clippers have played as good as they did tonight. Now, look. Rose-colored Clipper glasses moving forward, Tim. Clippers fans are going to go, yeah, but we, we always knew they had the potential. What if they found their groove? Maybe. I get it. I see what you're saying, but I'm not buying in. I need to see a little bit more consistency. And I think this, this team goes as Kawhi Leonard goes. And what I've seen throughout Kawhi's entire career, he is inconsistent, but absolutely great at times. Also understanding tonight that you had the Mitchell injury and Gobert really wasn't um, his standard self, right, Tom? Would that be fair to say? Yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> you see another team put up 130 on you uh, with the best defensive player in, in, in basketball. I mean, look, he might not win the award this year, but he's the best defensive player in basketball. He had an off night, and that's what I mean. Everything had to kind of fall right for the Clippers tonight, and it did. Both their stars played well, Kawhi played well, Mitchell got hurt, Rudy Gobert didn't play uh, well. This is uh, this was just the perfect storm for the L.A. Clippers. I would be stunned, Tim, if they are able to repeat this. Yeah. 
and I don't see an opening early line, obviously, with the injury issue. What do you think? You get the line about the same? Clippers 4-5, somewhere in that area? I don't think so. I think, uh, uh, well, you know what? The My, my snap reaction is going to be Clippers minus maybe two, two and a half. Uh, but with you're right. With the, with the injury, I think that they're going to say, oh, he's banged up, he's going to play. Because he didn't look that bad um, when he kind of, he left and then he kind of came back. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say five. Five is a fair number. I kind of like the Jazz plus five. Yeah, I was going to say, where are you leaning on that one? You got to look for, uh, that's what Utah's been able to do, Tommy, is that during the regular season it was, well, they're not that good, right? There's no way they're going to sustain that. And then it's, well, they'll get to the playoffs and, and they'll go in the first round because they're not used to winning. And Snyder hasn't proven himself to be a playoff winning coach. And now it's, well, they're playing the Clippers, right? We got Lander. There's always an excuse. And when you look for teams, when you're looking at a team that always has to play against excuses, Tom, that team, it's almost like they just persevere through it and they get they get that that uh, extra motivation behind them. Like I said, if they win Monday, the series is done. They, they will not go back to L.A. No, absolutely not. No, uh, you're right. And that's the thing. People look at this Utah Jazz team and they go, okay, they're a good team. Guys, you know, let's start to look at this team as really what they are. And I'm not just talking about this year, but last year and even the year before. This is a budding franchise. Donovan Mitchell is the most unguardable player in the NBA when he is on his game. And I know that there are a lot of better offensive players, Durant being one of them. Durant kind of creates his own shot. You could guard Durant, but he's still going to shoot it over you, right? There are other guys. LeBron James. Well, LeBron LeBron James is a guy you could guard him. You could guard him perfectly. He's going to barrel you over with his body. Donovan Mitchell is an unguardable guy. It's a different kind of game. It harkens back to when we watched it in the 90s, right? He's got moves. He's got, he's, he's you know, you could also say, by the way, you could say Russell Westbrook. I, I understand people's, uh, I think we're going to get some some calls on that one, right? 876-1340, screaming about Russell Westbrook. But I'll put Donovan Mitchell right up there with the most unguardable players when he's on his game. My worry with Utah here is, uh, you know, what about Donovan Mitchell? If he's healthy, I think we would be looking at this Utah team differently, though, Tim. Over the last couple of years, this is a team that just won 50-some-odd games. They are consistently number one. in a. I know that, that guys are mailing it in, right? The Lakers mailed it in. But in a conference that is as stacked as the West, to be where they are, I'm sorry, man. Utah is just not getting any attention. Utah is not getting any attention maybe because people just don't buy into uh, Donovan Mitchell. Maybe it's because they play in Utah, Tim. And, you know, it's just, it's the Utah thing. But I, I think we have to start opening up our eyes. And this is the best team in the NBA. Yeah. But, you know, with the way that the NBA has basically, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, Tom. In the last, just they've just shot themselves in the foot continuously year after year, right? The, the product is unwatchable. We already know that. It's, uh, it's garbage basketball. You know what would be good for the, the NBA, a title in Utah. That would be great for the NBA. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, it is. I mean, it, the NBA is is awful right now. I, awful, absolutely. You cannot defend it. You, you really, truly cannot defend the, the NBA product right now. But, look, you, you know, open it up. Let's start making America see Utah. Let's start making them see Donovan Mitchell. 
Let's start making them see Devin Booker, right? Let's see a, a different crop. Enough with the garbage of the LeBron James who sickens everybody. Uh, just a, a horrible human being. Forget about a basketball player, right? Get him off the screen. Kevin Durant, who's kind of a hard guy to like, right? I love his game, but he's he snaps at people on Twitter screaming back and forth. Kawhi Leonard, who's got his head in the clouds. Move it over. The, look, I thought Giannis was going to be the new generation, right? You got Giannis and Luka and Booker and, and Mitchell. I think the NBA is in a good spot, but let them be in a good spot rather than kind of bury it for the old dogs. Yep. And, and I know you saw this, maybe you saw the GIF or the meme or even just saw it on TV that of the eight teams, five have never won an NBA title and uh, three of them, right, the three that did, which were the Hawks when they were in St. Louis in 1950s, the Bucks who haven't won a title since the 70s, and then the Sixers was the 80s. I mean, there's going to be a champion this year, Tom, that hasn't either A, ever won a championship, or B, it's been so long that nobody remembers it. So, I mean, that, that's kind of a positive thing in the NBA, too, that we can look forward to, but it's the characters, right? And we'll get to Durant in a minute, but it is the characters. And um, Tim, i got to ask you about about this year's championship because yes. you were extremely outspoken when we came back from the bubble you well i'm sorry when we came back and and before the bubble began before all sports began when we were on the hiatus and we were on a show coming back you were very outspoken that you could not handle any titles every title was going to be tainted every one of them now we know the Lakers title is completely tainted. They shouldn't have given it to them. It's it's a joke. It's a laughing stock that the Lakers even have a championship because, no, they don't have a championship. We get that. I agree. Okay. But what about this year, Tim? What about the people that say, look, Tim, it's a shortened season. They didn't get the right off season. Um, it was a different kind of setup. They played in front of no fans. They, uh, you know, have all these other things kind of circling this season. I know... Maybe, maybe you you have guys out there that are saying, you know what, it's a legitimate championship last year. Uh, very, very few people will believe that. The only people that are believing that are really true, blind Laker fans. Right. Outside of that, I think we could all agree that that was tainted. I went into this season, and as the season has progressed, I, my mind has changed. I went into this season, Tim, believing, you know what, this championship will be legit. It's a long enough year, it's going to be legit. But the way the players handled the regular season, the way they went about this season, they showed me that they don't believe it. it's not tainted, that they're not taking it serious. I went from believing I would be crowning a champion and going, wow, you know what, they're a real champion, to now going, before we start, I'm going to be on the Tim bandwagon like you were last year and go, I don't know, man, I think I think this year is going to be tainted too. Uh Yes and no. I, I guess, yeah, I can see where you're coming from because you're right. It's like the guys that even half-assed care during the regular season, it seemed like extra days off, uh, just lackadaisical play, no defense, obviously, which is always an NBA thing, but it seemed like it was really uh, not, a, not a factor this season. I'm okay with the fact that they played in their own arenas, right, Tommy? I'm okay with the fact that they allowed people in at the end, towards the end of the season. I'm okay with the fact that the teams that are left is going to make it acceptable for me. If the Lakers would have been there again, running through with a half-ass regular season, they get in the playoffs through a playoff in game and then win the title. 
I would have been right there with you again. But I'm I'm okay. I'm going to be okay with it because I think that we're going to get to see something different this year. Almost like the Toronto Championship a few years back, right, Tom? That was a good story. I think we'll get a good story out of this playoff because I think even if Kevin Durant wins it, like they were supposed to, right, Tom? They built that team. I'm more going for the route of I want to see the next superstar win it, and I think that's what I'm kind of aiming at here. Okay. I, I see where you're going. You know, to me, and here, here will be my argument, okay, um, for all of the teams basically left. If the Hawks win it, it's, it's a hard argument to have that they didn't get legitimately there. Okay, so I'll give you that. If the Sixers win it, aren't you going to say, well, this is a team that they've been trying this forever, but they can't stay healthy. The shortened season helped them stay healthy, so it's tainted. The Jazz, the Suns, well, yeah, they play a shortened season. They were able to get home court. Um, uh, you know, they, this is a tainted season. If the Lakers were healthy, if they were 100%, maybe you could have an argument there. And if the Nets win, Tim... To me, this is a massively tainted championship. They they played eight games during the regular season to get here. They didn't care about the regular year because they knew it was a joke. The Lakers and the Nets proved to us, to every NBA fan, they spit in your face. The NBA laughed at their own fans this year and treated them like brain-dead idiots because they laughed and they said, we don't care. Nobody cares. The regular season means nothing. Yeah, I, no, I understand completely what you're saying, and you're right. If the Nets win, that's exactly the the fallback excuse on it. I want to see, I want to see Donovan Mitchell hold up the the trophy, right, Tommy? I want to see the Phoenix Suns get get their first ever championship. I want to see um, even the Sixers. Like you, like you're right. They, their big thing was they built and built and built with the youth. They could never stay healthy, and maybe the shortened season does help them, Tommy. It's still a good story that they finally can get to that achievement. So I think there's a lot more positive stories. The negatives would be the Nets winning the title, right? Is that the only negative, really? Yeah, to me, that that's the big negative. And, and you're right. I, I kind of like this. I think the Nets, the Nets would make a mockery of an already dead sport. I don't even want to say dying anymore. It's dead. The NBA is dead. It's a corpse. But it would make a mockery of even that deadness that is the NBA. Uh, I thought it was, I, I wrote an article, um, you know, in the, one of the papers here, that I thought it was terrible for the NBA that the Lakers and, and Nets would win the championship. It can be saved this year. But I think in historical context, you know, that's where I go, Tim. And in historical context, if you turn around and you go, okay, in 10 years from now, what are we going to say about that Lakers championship? No one's, come on, it's going to be a joke. It's going to be an absolute joke. If we turn around from now, 10 years from now, and talk about a Brooklyn Next championship, I, I think it's going to be in the same vein as the Lakers. Maybe not as bad, maybe not as tainted, but in the same vein. Yeah. Let's take a look at the two games tomorrow, Tom. We got 2-3 in the East, the Nets, those same Nets you talked about, right? It's playing at Milwaukee, some Milwaukee gutty effort in game three to get a, a win late as the Nets had come back in that game to, to uh, tie it up and the, and the Bucks win it late in game number three. And, and we just talked about Duran, right? As, as good of a player as he is, now we have to deal with the shenanigans of his personal bodyguard running onto the court and, and causing a mockery. I mean, that that's exactly what the negatives we were talking about with the Nets in this uh, this run towards the, the title that they've pretty much they built the team to win it. That's where they're at right now. But 
uh, the game before tomorrow, Tom, in the you get a morning matchup. So they are a small, and I say small, favorite on the road against the Bucks. Look, I was all on top of the Bucks, and last weekend uh, on the Sports Garden Network's Want to Bet show hashtag SGN. You guys can look, go listen to that. I, I was made a very, very valid, very argumentative case that the Bucks could win this series. And I talked about it on this show. I really believe that the Bucks could win the series. And it is 2-1. It's exactly where it's supposed to be, right? I have no confidence in the Bucks. None. Not after that performance. Harden's out. And you, you go out there. Defensively, you get squashed early. Last game, you win that game. But, oh, man, was that an ugly, pathetic performance. And you got to be happy that Middleton um, you know, looks good. But where is Giannis, man? I mean, where is Giannis? I got done last week talking about, I think I said he's one of the top three players. I may have even said number two in the league. He has been absent. He's not playing Giannis basketball. This is a Brooklyn net. For you to go out there and score 89 points or 86 points, whatever it was, against this Nets defense, the Nets defense is hard. They don't even attempt to stop you. They don't even try to stop you. What has happened to Giannis and what has happened to the Bucks? I like the Nets tomorrow because I and look, I was a big Milwaukee guy. I like the Nets tomorrow because I just am looking for Giannis and I can't find them. It's isn't this where the the superstars are supposed to, to shine, Tommy? He's supposed to be the next the next biggest thing in the NBA. That at least that was last year. Well, look, the guy's got an MVP. The guy should, but it's hard to watch Giannis shoot a basketball. I, I mean. His foul, his foul shots hurt. I mean, it is it is really hard. It's really difficult, really difficult to turn around and watch a guy like that and say, okay, you're not a liability, right? I mean, if the game gets close and it's the end of the game, um, what are you doing with Giannis? Put him on the foul line. There's no way he's hitting two or two. There's no way. There's no chance. And even his mid-range jumper at this point, his mid-range jumper at this point is ugly. I mean, ugly is a nice way to say it. Nothing is working for Giannis. Um, I heard a, an executive say last year that Giannis is a great would be a great number two, and I kind of I took offense to it. And I think I, I talked about it on the air. What a number two! This guy is a superstar. But you're starting to see that. You're starting to see that that mentality of at the end of the game. And this is one of my arguments with LeBron James all the time. At the end of the game, do you want the ball? In LeBron James's hands, the answer is no. At the end of the game, do you want the ball in Giannis's hands? Tim, the answer is no. Yeah. He makes uh, Shaq look like Larry Bird at the free throw line. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> Even the mid-range jumper. You know what I mean? LeBron was always terrified to take the last shot because he knows he, he knew he couldn't make it, and right. so he would always dish it off, right? Um, Giannis has to learn to dish it off because his, his last shot is ugly. Compare him to the other guys in the league that you want with the ball. You want Curry. You want Dame. You want Luka, right? I mean, you want Kawhi. Kawhi's proven it. You look at Giannis and you go, yeah, I want it in Middleton's hands. That's crazy to think because Giannis is either, unless Giannis is, is driving to the basket and gets inside the paint, it's going to be an ugly shot. Yeah, yep. no doubt about that. The night matchup will be Phoenix at Denver. Tom, we've seen Phoenix take a 3 nothing lead in this series. They can close out on the road tomorrow. We already know the the uh, Red Cross situation with Denver. Tom, not not the Denver Nuggets you'd like to see in this playoff series, but 
Uh, can, can Phoenix close this out tomorrow? They're a three-point favorite on the road. And if they don't, I assume it will be done uh, come Tuesday night at home. Yeah, most likely. You know, I will tell you, um, on tomorrow's show, you guys could, could go check it out. On tomorrow's show, my best bet of the week is that Jokic is held under for the points. Because the way that Anton is playing him is unbelievable, Tim. He just struggles. And if, you know, look, if the Joker's not MVP level, even if he's just very good level, um, they're just they're, they're outmatched completely. There's too many weapons for the Suns, and I know CP3 is getting all this attention and all this uh, accolades getting thrown towards him. But there's just too many weapons. You know, you look at the Suns roster. Could Denver have won this series with a healthy Murray? I think they could have, but without him, the entire offense changes. They just don't have enough. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bet against a closeout game against such a great home team like Denver with the MVP there getting points. Tim, I'm not doing that. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like that's handicappers. Uh, you know, kryptonite right there. Give give points on the road in a closeout game to a great defensive team, um, to a great home team with the MVP. No, no, no. I'm not doing that. But I do expect the Suns to move on. Yeah, everybody's on Phoenix tomorrow, Tom. It just makes you want to go the other way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The line opened up at two. It's up to four in some spots and rising. Everyone's on them. And it makes sense. Look, you you can't go out there and take Denver after what you've watched in this series, but a lot of things are pointing to, yeah, you know what, Denver might extend this one more. Matchup on Monday. Sixers and the Hawks. So the Hawks steal game one, Tommy. We talked about this show last weekend, or we talked about this matchup last weekend after the they took game one from them. We both loved the Sixers in game two. That came through, and then game three at Atlanta, the Sixers smashed them, Tom. So this one, game four, three-point line. Sixers are favored by three on the road. Two people don't realize, after the first quarter of game one against Atlanta, the Philadelphia 76ers outscored them by 11 points for the rest of the game that game. After the first quarter, what happened? And why have they won the last two games? And why did they win the next three quarters? Because they had Harris one-on-one with Trey Young. After that, they switched it up. He was on, uh, in the first quarter, he was on him almost 90% of the minutes that were on the floor, defending him basically head-to-head the entire first quarter. And he got torched. All of a sudden, what happened? Sixers make adjustments. Now, they have Harris on him less than 50% of the time. It was like 40% of the time in Game 2. That's now a recipe for success. The Sixers have dominated this series. just doesn't seem like it, right? Because when you win Game 1, you start to put the pressure on everybody else. No, the Sixers have absolutely dominated the series after the first quarter of the first game. I don't see anything changing here. I think Philadelphia smacks, smacks them around. And, you know, and I thought that that was going to be the case. Trey Young is a great player, but he's not ready yet. Mm-hmm. Or maybe his team, you know, I shouldn't say he isn't. His team isn't ready yet. So I think we'll see the, w- the way it, it plays out. So like I said, you know, we talked about a lot of these series not going the, the full seven games. So even in these, these, re- these semifinal matchups, you have possibility, and mostly looks like it's Utah, Phoenix. So you'll have uh, Phoenix. Last time they were in the finals, I think it was in the '90s. Jazz as well, right in the late '90s against the Bulls. So you'll have a new representative in the West, and then over in the East, the Sixers. And uh, they were, uh, I want to say, early 2000s with Iverson was the last finals appearance for them. And of course, 
the the opponent would be the Nets, who <laughs> you know the answer to that one, Tom. So that looks like the road we're on. So are we talking? What if we get Utah and uh, Philadelphia? How about that? Uh, that? That's okay with me, man. I'm okay with any of the combinations that don't include the Nets at this point, right? I mean, that's that's the way it is, and it's not. You know, it's funny because I, I just wrote a scathing article in New York about Brooklyn has no fans. It's not that I don't. Uh, that I ever had anything against the Brooklyn Nets. I never did until they put together this farce. You threw together this farce, you made me an anti-Brooklyn fan. As a matter of fact, if you remember, I made a fortune on them a couple of years ago to make the playoffs. I, I went, I really, really, really uh, made good money on them to make the playoffs. I, I made good money on, on Spencer Dinwiddie was my guy. I was kind of getting into the Nets. You go out there and you make a farce of it by getting... Durant and Harden and Kyrie and Blake Griffin and you know how many other guys it, you go out there and you make a farce of the NBA you make a farce of the sport itself I'm rooting against you so Brooklyn fans <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face but the people that all of a sudden are Brooklyn fans you know it's not that I hate Brooklyn it's just that the reality is is that I can't root for a team that made a farce of the NBA so yeah give me Sixers sons poof, I'm on top of that Give me Sixers, uh, Utah. I'm loving that. Best team against best team. I like that. We're gonna we're gonna have a fun champion this year if it's not named Brooklyn. Yeah. One more quick NBA note before we take the timeout. We saw last week we talked about the Celtic head coaching position, and it looks like Brad Stevens lining up candidates to interview there. We've also heard the possible Tommy, the possibility of. Uh, Lillard being interested if Jason Kidd was the coach. You know, a lot of these different scenarios, but I saw that Portland kind of stole a page out of what you had said. Portland will interview Becky Hammond for their head coaching job. So could there be a female head coach come next season? I think the, everything looking like maybe Orlando or Portland will, will go out on the ledge and take that chance that uh, it works out for them. Yeah, and it should. You know what? Those are two very good cities, uh, you know, for the first female. And, and that's not a knock that's actually just a, a situational you know statement um i think boston is a is a bad spot i think boston's a bad spot for anybody but i think boston's a bad spot because brad stevens if if she doesn't work out uh would have to go and fire her. and then that looks bad for brad stevens that looks bad for the organization and, and i'm pretty sure brad stevens would lose his job you can you know can you name the gm in portland tim can you name the gm in orlando most people can't, and that's okay because you can make the mistake. You could say, you know what, we're going to take the shot, and if she doesn't work out, like most coaches do, she doesn't work out, you could fire and kind of keep your job. Okay, no problem. We took a stab. Um, if she does work out, well, great, excellent, great hire. I think those are two good situations. You don't want to go into a situation with a pressure organization that is expected to win and a brand-new general manager. That is, it, it, It's not good for... Becky Hammond. It's not good for the general manager. It wouldn't be good for Brad Stevens. It's not good for the fan base. It's not good for anybody. And you could go. You could tell me, well, if it works out, it's great for everybody. Sure, but let's be realist here. And this is not me doubting a female basketball coach. This is me doubting every basketball coach. Think about how many coaches actually work out. They, they usually don't. So we heard the tie-in with Damian Lillard. He wouldn't mind playing for Jason Kidd, right, Tom? So we've we've heard that. Oh well, maybe maybe there's a way that if Boston hired Kidd, they get to trade Lillard. I mean, number one, 
is Portland trading Damian Lillard? And number two, I've heard that Mike D'Antoni has become a hot rumor for Portland because of his style of offense. But really, what does that change in Portland? They, they already score, Tom, right? They're, the problem is ulterior pieces in defense. So that bringing in D'Antoni to keep Lillard there really doesn't change the fact. And, and like I said on number one, is Jason Kidd enough for Portland to move uh, him to Boston? I mean, obviously the pieces, there's pieces there that can go back to Portland, but is that is that uh, just rumor in innuendo, or do you think there's like something behind that? I think there's something behind it. I think the reason why we're so hesitant here, Tim, uh, and this is a great conversation I want to get into you, I think the reason we're so hesitant is because it's so completely out of Damian Lillard's personality what he has to do to force the trade. You know, Damian Lillard can force the Portland Trailblazers to trade him, right? I mean, he could put pressure on them, but it's very, his entire career has been, I'm a Portland guy. His entire career has been, you know, I'm a team player. His entire career has been, I'm the underrated, understated, quiet superstar. His entire career, everything we know about Damian Lillard from, you know, making music to the the shoes he wears to not running in the same circles with the, the big boys to well, I, I'm okay playing Portland. Everything that we know about Damian Lillard since coming out of college, even in college, has been completely opposite personality driven of what he needs to do to force the trade. If this was anybody else, okay, we would be going, yeah, he's going to Boston. Or, yeah, he's definitely out of there. It just depends on where is he going to go. No. With Damian Lillard, we're all having such a hard time going, kind of coming to it because we know Portland's not trading him unless he really starts to open up his mouth, unless he really starts to do things that are just not like Damian Lillard to do. So I think he will be traded. I think that they're going to get a great package back for him. Um, I, I do think that he wants to win. I think he looks at Boston as that kind of area. Look, I'm going to Boston. They have a very good team. They got a base around me. The East is wide open, which is one of the reasons I thought he would go to the Knicks and kind of do that. Uh, I think he's definitely going to go to the East. I think he definitely goes and he gets traded this year. But he has to do things that we just can't grasp Damian Lillard doing. About Chauncey Billups, that's, that's another name I'm hearing potentially with Boston and Portland, Orlando. What do you think about the uh, former NBA Finals MVP? You know, the guy's won, right? He won in Detroit. He was very successful, and he's trying to translate over to the head coaching side. I, I know he's there's a lot of good reviews about him as far as his uh, long-term possibilities as an NBA coach. Well, NBA head coach, uh, you know where I put it in the pantheon of coaches. It is dead last. Okay, dead last. Football coaches, college and pro are before it. Basketball, uh, college, way before it, although that's more recruiting. A baseball coach, is a manager, is more important. The NBA coach is really just a figurehead. You can make a couple of moves, but it, he's a figurehead. Getting a guy like Chauncey Billups to be that figurehead, a winner, at that level, yeah, I think that that's a great pick. You need to just do enough at the NBA level to kind of manage egos, to kind of be able to, to pull the trigger on a few plays here and there, and to have the respect of guys that inherently think that they're great, right? Because they have to be uh, to survive in this, this culture. Um, Chauncey Billups 
it makes sense. He's already been here. He's won. He's been in a locker room. He's been with big-time names that are bigger than him. And he's kind of risen above it all. So I think he's a good coaching hire no matter where he lands. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Heat Wave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio. We'll take a timeout. We come back, we'll move to ice NHL playoffs, game one, Eastern Conference. Well, what would be the Eastern Conference finals tomorrow? We'll break that down for you as well as what would considerably be the Western Conference finals. We'll get Tom's thoughts on that as well. It's Heat Wave Sports here on a Saturday night, Fox Sports Radio. Sports with Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. You want to join us tonight here on Heat Sports? Tommy said it earlier. Eight seven six thirteen forty is the Heat Wave hotline. <clears throat> we also are interactive over there on that Twitter thing at Tom Barton Sports at HW Sports. You can hit us up there as well. And uh, Tommy, we will save the the big Vegas Golden Knights story for hour two. So let's talk about what would essentially be the Eastern Conference Finals in a normal, right, Tommy, non-pandemic-stricken uh, season. Two teams I know that either, A, you've liked to make money on and enjoyed watching, and, and team that's there basically you watched because it was a your bar was an Islander bar, right? So we got the Islanders. We got Tampa tomorrow, game one. Tampa, Tommy, almost a $2 favorite in game one. And, you know, we, we uh, back and forth, we have talked about how the Islanders have made us money as a dog the last three games of that series against Boston. Here they are again. Plus, you get plus 180 at some places tomorrow against Tampa. Well, here's where it gets interesting, Tim, right? And uh, I'm going to go real in-depth about this tomorrow morning, and I, I want to get on it here. I found this to be the easiest hockey season the last two years, really in my entire career. You guys, you see the numbers, okay? Uh, I mean, my numbers at TomBartonSports.com scream off the charts, hitting about, just about 74%, literally, uh, on the year. And I've updated constantly. You guys can go do, this is not to pump up TomBartonSports.com. This is to tell you, last year, I was near 70% in the NHL. This is after taking years off. I took years off of the NHL because I couldn't really consistently make money. I went four or five years where I was about 50, 50%. Crushed it last year. Absolutely. I had an even better year this year. And this is all to tell you the reason why, because of familiarity. I believed that the familiarity made the betting window just a goldmine. Well, you know what? It's not just a betting window. The teams also knew their familiarity. When we started the playoffs, I told you, I think that the Islanders are a live dog because they're so familiar. They're that that team that you look at, and they're scrappy, and they're going to be tough. I thought they'd beat Pittsburgh. We made a lot of money on that. I thought they'd beat Boston. We made a lot of money on that. All of a sudden now, though, Tim, you play teams that you're not familiar with. And when you start to play teams that you're not familiar with, a team like the Islanders, that scrappy, tough, kind of intelligent team, you get exposed by pure and utter athleticism and talent. I think that the Islanders have hit their ceiling. 
Now, I know, you know, you Islander fans out there, you guys are going to rip on me. Oh, well, you know what? We believe, we believe. Look, there's not a single aspect of the Islanders against Tampa that leans the Islanders' way. Not a single one. Defense, you know, the Islanders' defense is good. Tampa is better. Offense, it's not even close. You can argue that when on the ice, Tampa has three, maybe the four best players on the ice. And then goaltending, it's not even its not even a contest. So the familiarity factor is gone for the Islanders against Boston, against Pittsburgh. I thought they would have done well against Washington. That's all gone. Now you got to go and you got to take on a Tampa Bay team. A Tampa Bay team that in every way, shape, and form is better than you. They are better than you in everything, including experience, because they were here last year. Tim, I see that the line is 2-1. to one. I think it should be three to one, four to one. I mean, I don't think the Islanders stand much of a chance in this series. We 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 also said major major talking points on when you're trying to dissect this series. And yes, right, Tommy, the Islanders have been on a, a, just an amazing, nice run. They take out Pittsburgh. They take out Boston, as you said. And now you get the best goalie in the game who won a title, who knocked you out of the playoffs. Right? Remember this? This was the same series last year for the right to go to the Stanley Cup final, and Tampa handled them very easily. And I know that you can make certain changes during the offseason, but nothing to the degree that would make the Islanders significantly better than Tampa because you just broke it down for us. They're not. Oh, well, we got Barry. Well, Barry was there last year, right? John Cooper had an answer for him. And and when you look at this, the the key factors for me were, how was Tampa going to be in the playoffs? Because we know they were banged up in the regular season. They they came in as, what were they, the two or three seed in the playoffs itself, but isn't just the return of Kucherov been the ultimate difference for Tampa in the playoffs? I mean, he's got 18 points through the first two rounds, and he's been significantly that missing piece I think we've seen there, especially towards the end of the regular season. If you really saw Tampa kind of just sputter along, he's been that extra spark plug for this team now. Yeah, absolutely. And and let's just talk about it. I know it's different positions and everything else, Tim, but, but let's just really break down the rosters. Can we come to a conclusion that uh, Barzell is the best player on the Islanders, right? Because Andrews Lee is down. Okay. Barzell is the best best player on on the ice. Okay. Is he better than Braden Point? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Is he better than Stamkos? No. Okay. Is he better uh, than Kucherov? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Is he better than Hedman? I mean, I, you can make an argument for it, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Okay. So, like I said, we're looking at the fact that Tampa Bay, and then you throw in Vasilevsky, Tampa Bay might have the five best players on the ice uh, compared to the Islanders. Okay? Now, I know there's different shifts, different positions. I get it. The point is, is that there's not one minute of, of this game, not one minute of this series, Tim, should be played with the Islanders having, forget about the first best player, even the second, they're not going to do it unless you put Barzell on a weird line. Most likely, just they're going to be at a position where they're their fourth, fifth best player, and then you go down the line. We're talking about the Islanders' best player, right? How how deep is Tampa compared to how deep are the Islanders? You know, this is the story that everybody wants. Oh, that little spark, you know, that little spark plug, the Islanders, they can do, they can do the little engine that could. This is the little engine that can't. They are just 
absolutely up against the pure talent of Tampa. And listen, if we get to the Vegas Knights against Tampa, we're going to be having the same conversation. I'm going to be telling you that Tampa is more talented because I think Tampa has the most talented roster in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Now, can okay make it make a take the side of the Islanders? Give me all the reasons they could win this series. Find a way to win the series, Tom. Can they make Tampa play ugly enough hockey to win four games in a seven-game series? I mean, ultimately, we're going to say no. But if I said Tommy, present me a case on how the Islanders can win this series. What do you say? It's as simple as this, okay? And I can see the path for it because the Islanders at home have the third best record in the NHL, okay? That is the loudest arena in the NHL. And no, I'm not an Islanders fan, guys. It's just the loudest arena in the NHL. It's very hard to win at the barn, extremely hard. So the Lightning going on the road, you have to look at the the Islanders and say, you know what, look, they've gotten better as the playoffs gone on. They just are fantastic on their home ice. So that's a path. And then you go, well, Tom, they still got to win in Tampa. I think the Islanders can get fluky wins. I think the Islanders are that team. They could run into one, maybe even two fluky wins. And if they're in a position where this is going into game six and seven, they have no pressure on them. They can kind of defend their home ice, get that fluky win. And if they could push this to a game six and then a game seven, uh, the pressure could get to Tampa. Now, I mean, I'm reaching for straws here because the, the talent gap is so incredible. But we've seen stranger things happen before. I, I am looking at this series and I'm going to bet Tampa Bay, you got to lay. I, I saw 270 today. I've seen anywhere between 260 and 300. And I just don't think it's big enough. That's how pretty secure I am where Tampa Bay is moving on. The Islanders are a fun story. And I do expect the Islanders to win a game, maybe two, in this series. I do. Uh, they're that kind of team. So if I could see them winning a game or two, Tim, it's not that far of a stretch to say four. That's my argument, although I don't really believe it. My my assessment of it, Tommy, would be, look, like you just said, even if they can win a couple games and they do it on their home ice, right, I just don't think they can keep – you literally just said it. Theoretically, counting if you take Vasilevsky out of the situation, you still have the four best players on the ice, right? I don't see how you're going to be able to stop Tampa Bay offensively four times in a seven-game series enough to you, you have to win two, one, three, two games. I just don't see it happening. And you know, when you want to go goaltenders, and we'll talk in hour two about the situation with Montreal and Vegas. It's as simple as this: your MVP, your uh, the Zena Trophy winner, Vesna Trophy winner. 224 goals against 934 save percentage. He's ultimately better than Farley or Sorokin. It doesn't matter at that point for me. You got to go with the guy that's been there and done that and won it. And I just don't see the Islanders being able to solve that puzzle that Vasilevsky provides for Tampa. Um, he's number one for a reason, right, Tom? And and I just I just can't see them getting to him four times. They'd have to literally win one goal games four times, and I just I just can't see that offense being stifled. And I, I think the emotional standpoint is there, too. Look, Tampa Bay's been here, right? They, they, they did this last year. Even though it was, yeah, it was in a bubble and it was this and it was that, they've been here. 
the Islanders know, look, we're playing with house money right now, but we've never seen anything like this, right? We, we don't know how it's going to be. We don't know how uh, you know emotional and crazy the playoff drag is going to be to maybe get to a cup and the pressure that it is on, even though the Islanders shouldn't have pressure. Look, every athlete has pressure, right? I mean, you're, you don't have that. There's just too much going against them. There really is. And I, I think that there is that factor of extra motivation for Tampa Bay here where we were just saying people, there are people that look at Tampa Bay championship as a little tainted, even though they had the best record the year before, even though they had the best record last year, they look at it as a tainted title where you win back to back. It's no longer tainted. I was going to say, I, I think when you look at Tampa, they're, they're the, you know, usually when you go into a playoff situation, it's all the defending champions have this target on their back. I think in this case, Tampa's always been that franchise, right? Tom, that nobody took seriously. Oh well, they had the best record, but they got beat in the first round. Oh, they had the best record, but they got beat in the second round. They can't even—they can't win the playoffs. Oh, they won the Stanley Cup, but like you said, oh, let's say the bubble doesn't count. Even this year, oh, Tampa's the defending champions—that doesn't count, and they're a three seed coming into the playoffs. You talk about just continuously giving a team that's so talented reasons to want to go out and win. You stack the deck against Tampa. You know, usually they're going in this instead of having pressure on them, Tom. It's more like as you just said, it's a huge motivational factor. Yeah, and, and that's why I think, I, I don't, not only do I think that Tampa is moving on here, I think scary for the rest of the league, I think they've gotten better every single game, not even every single playoff series, every single game I'm seeing a different, improved Tampa team, they look almost unstoppable at this point. Yeah, and oh, by the way, right, Tom, as we head to the hour timeout, crown the, the Vegas Golden Knights of champions because already we'll talk about overlooking Montreal. They're already talking about how Tampa is... Uh, if, if Vegas was a, a regular beer, that Tampa would be the light version of it. And we'll definitely break into that on the other side of the timeout here on Heat Wave Sports. It's a Saturday night. We'll break down the VGK Montreal series for you after the timeout. Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM.